Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi. I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show... Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on the show, I'm talking to Dr. Casey Means. She is a Stanford-trained physician, chief medical officer, and the co-founder of the metabolic health company Levels. And for all you listeners, Levels has a special offer for my audience. If you head to levels.link slash American Glutton, you will get a nice discount. Please enjoy our conversation. Dr. Casey Means, welcome to the American Glutton podcast. Ethan, it's such a pleasure. I'm so excited to chat with you. I'm excited to chat with you, too. So we find ourselves in, you know, I think about my life and like I was a, an overweight little kid and I was an overweight little kid when there were not a lot of overweight little kids. Like I was for sure the odd man out. And when I look at pictures of myself now, I don't even see. And to be honest with you, the kid was like me as a kid wasn't really overweight. And now when I go to schools, school events or anything like that, I see a lot of, you know, obese little kids. And I just think that, that we have shifted now. I think there's a lot of probably like I think, you know, if we just got rid of processed food, if we nuked it. I don't know that that ultimately handles everything. Like, I think there's other factors as we societally reduce our need for physical output and have this abundance of food. Maybe we gain weight. But what is your solution to all of this? That's my question to you. How are we going to do battle with this problem? 
Well, thank you for starting with softball. You know, yeah. how do we fix the? How do we fix all of it? <laughs> no, and I know that's ridiculous. So, okay. No, no. Forget I mean, let's that jump in. It's, let's it's do it. Too much. Okay. okay <laughs> no, okay. it's good. We, we, but we can go in whatever direction. I'm happy to jump in, though. We, 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 you know, we've got an hour. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, that's the interest to me. But I could we could also go like very individualistically because like each and every person is going to need to combat this on their own. I don't think we're going to have some, you know, government regulators come in and change anything that's going to produce a good result. I don't believe that. So it, it's complicated. Well, let's let's jump in with a, t a couple different frameworks. So first of all, the problem, like you just identified it, both kids and adults are dealing with metabolic disease of catastrophic proportions. There is no sugar coating it, no pun intended. This problem is monumental. 93% of American adults have metabolic dysfunction. This was 88% a few years ago, post-COVID, we're at 93.2% of American adults having at least one biomarker of metabolic dysfunction. And of course, this has many different faces. Uh, this is represented by the obesity epidemic. Uh, this is represented by so many cardiometabolic diseases going off the charts and being the top killers in the US, like heart disease, stroke, dementia, fatty liver disease, cancer. These are all metabolically associated diseases. And then of course, now it is just absolutely decimating children. Children's metabolic health is going down the tube right now, setting them up for a lifetime that will likely be shorter than their parents. You know, as we know, life expectancy has been going down the last three to four years. This is unprecedented. We spend more money on healthcare than any other country in the entire world by such a long shot. And our life expectancy is decreasing. And healthcare costs are 20% of our GDP, largest economy in the world. $4.2 trillion. So we are abjectly failing at managing this issue because the more we spend, the worse the outcomes are getting for both children and adults. So that's just sort of the landscape of the problem. When you look at kids specifically, which you brought up, and I know you have several children and a grandchild, I believe, you know, things are bad. Kids are being born into a world in which they are more likely than not going to have a metabolic problem. So we've got about, um, what's astonishing to me. So overweight and obesity, that's like one face of this issue of the metabolic spectrum, of course. And that's, you know, over 20% of kids are obese now. And in some minority groups, that, that number is a lot higher and fatty liver disease is, is ranging between 20 to 30% in children. And this is the liver manifestation of metabolic disease. Uh, but what is most astonishing, I think is that about 20% of children in their teens actually have prediabetes, which is almost entirely preventable. And you'll recall, we used to call type 2 diabetes adult onset diabetes. We can no longer call it that because so many children are getting prediabetes and even type 2 diabetes. Just last week, Two new drugs were approved by the FDA for treatment of type 2 diabetes in children. And of course, we could think of this as like, oh, this is great. This is progress. We're getting kids access to these medications. But like, wake up, back up. We should not be having any children or, or, or virtually no children with type 2 diabetes. So we need to go back to the drawing board and figure out what are the causes of this? What are the multifarious root causes of this disaster that is happening to our children and adults. And then how do we start chipping away at the problem? Because 
I think it's actually quite hopeful. We got ourselves into this mess in the course of about 50 to 75 years. We can get ourselves out. We are smart enough to get ourselves out. And we actually have to because it's decimating both the American economy, but also American human potential, mental and physical health, and generally the competitiveness of our country. So um, if you look at the stats about in the 1950s, about 1% of the adult population had type 2 diabetes. Now that number is over 13%. And if you look at the combination of type 2 diabetes and prediabetes, that number is 50% of American adults. This is all happening in the last you know, 50 to 75 years. So what are the factors that are leading to this? It is, it, it is many, okay? And I think there's two ways to look at it. I think you can look at it on like the actual, what are the pillars in our life that are contributing to this? So I think that's worth talking about. And then what are the systems issues that are contributing to this? Because those are both important. So on the first side, it's like what elements of our modern, our, our, you know, our recent environments are contributing to this? Because obviously not genetic. It's happening over the past 50 to 75 years. And I think it really falls into like about seven or eight categories. Um, of course, genetics being one of them, but really our environment amplifying this genetic predisposition. So when you look at the lifestyle and environmental factors, where of course food is the biggest one, right? We have an ultra processed food environment where we're eating the majority of our calories from these food-like industrial substances that completely uh, put our biology through a tailspin uh, and, and create metabolic dysfunction. And that's the majority of our calories now. So 60% for adults, 68% for kids of our calories are coming from ultra processed industrial industrially manufactured foods that our bodies basically for millions of years, never evolved to see. And that essentially become this overwhelming nutrient source that stresses our cells, stresses our mitochondria, causes oxidative stress and mitochondrial damage, creates metabolic dysfunction in our cells, um, and is a threat signal to the body, which generates chronic inflammation, which of course is intimately tied to metabolic dysfunction. So you've got the ultra processed food supply. That is number one. Um, not to mention in that industrially processed, you know, conventionally farmed food, you've got pesticides sprayed all over it. So you've got this like ultra processed food covered in poisons, which we know hurt our microbiome, which is super related to metabolic health. And it's super processed. So we absorb it super quickly. So it really overloads our body. And on top of that, it's grown in this um, conventional agriculture system that's very unnatural, which reduces micronutrient composition. So we have limited micronutrients, more high concentration of these macronutrients like sugar and carbohydrates, and it's covered in poison. So that's a trifecta that is number one. And of course, we're gavaging our children with this in their school lunches because the FDA and the USDA are super in cahoots with lots of industries, uh, processed food industry that want that food in front of kids. So that's that's kind of number one is food. And then I, I won't go into as much detail as some of the other pillars, but we're looking at we're sleeping way less than we were a hundred years ago. We're super skimping on sleep. Sleep is our ultimate recovery tool for metabolic health. And we're just not sleeping enough. And our sleep is interrupted because of our phones and our beeping and our blue light everywhere. So we've got food, we've got sleep, we've got chronic low-grade stress. Um, people are more anxious and more stressed than ever. We have a mental health crisis in the United States. People are living in fear. That puts our body in a fear state, a threat state. That's going to, of course, hurt our metabolic health because if your body's focused on stress and fear, it's not going to be focused on thriving and metabolic health. Um, so sleep, food, stress, 
sedentary behavior. We're sitting the vast majority of our time. Um, we are not getting outside and moving. Uh, many people are spending less than two hours of the day up from a chair. I mean, this is, this is absolutely unprecedented evolutionarily. Hunter gatherers, they predict walked over 20,000 steps a day. Many Americans are walking an average of 3,800 steps a day. It's absolutely catastrophic because our muscles are one of our key metabolic organs. They soak up glucose. They produce anti-inflammatory cytokines. We're just not using them. And of course, you know, we've told women not to resistance train because they're going to bulk up. And so we have people who are under muscled as Dr. Gabrielle Lyons said, and this is a huge root cause of obesity. So we're sedentary. We're not lifting things. So food, sleep, exercise, stress. And then there's some other factors like that are a little bit more nuanced. Um, but actually, as I've dug into the research are, are quite important. So one is actually what I, a concept I call thermoneutrality. So we live in these environments where we're just always at like 72 degrees. We yeah. just like sit here and we just want to be comfortable. <laughs> and we like never, if it's like 73 or 68, people are like, Oh my God, I need a sweater. Thermoneutrality is actually not normal. Uh, if you think about historically, like this whole idea of being indoors is a relatively modern phenomenon. Like we were not living indoors with all this climate control, you know, 100, 200 years ago, we didn't have heaters and air conditioning. So we were experiencing bigger swings in temperature. And if you think about cold, you know, your body is so brilliant. If you are cold, it's actually a stimulus, a stimulus to the body to generate heat. How do we generate heat? We wrap up our mitochondria to make more heat and using your mitochondria is metabolic function. You know, that is what's going to lead you towards metabolic health. We're just basically not stimulating our mitochondria enough with exercise and with cold. And so by never exposing our bodies to extreme temperatures, we're actually making them really kind of metabolically complacent. So we want to get ourselves out of that thermoneutral um, lifestyle we're in. And this is of course why like cold plunges and saunas are becoming so hot right now. But if you kind of like take away the biohacking sheen of all of that, it's really just like going back to how our bodies really evolve, which is to experience big swings in temperature. And then the two last ones I would just mention is, um, is light. So this is another kind of nuanced one. That's a little bit, you know, odder, I think, but like the fact that we're exposed to blue light all throughout the day, basically 24 hours a day because of the artificial lights that we now have in our screens and our light bulbs. This is actually very bad for metabolic health as well, because so much of our metabolic processes are set up on 24 hour circadian clocks. And the way that we entrain our body to know, to truly know what time it is, is through light exposure. So like we've got these little optic nerves in the back of our eyes. And these are these sort of like magical conduits that basically convey information from the sun to your brain. Like the inside of the body is dark, right? It does not really know what time it is. It needs photons to hit that optic nerve and send a signal to your brain, to the suprachiasmatic nucleus to say, Hey, it's morning. Hey, it's night. This is what genetic pathways and what hormones you need to release. And right now it's daylight all the time to our brains. Cause we're constantly seeing this blue light. So we're, can you imagine how confusing that is to our bodies and to our metabolic pathways that are like, wait a minute, it's 8 a.m. all the time, you know, and then on top of that, we don't go outside at all anymore, right? We're inside all the time. And the stats on this are crazy. There are kids who are spending less than an hour outside a day in a 24 hour period. We should be spending most of the time outside because that is basically a signal to our body of what time it is. So we're basically indoors during the day when we should be getting that high powered photon signal from the sun during the day. And then at night when we're supposed to really be getting very little light energy, 
into the brain, we're blasting our eyes with blue light from our screen. So we're totally flip-flopped, metabolic mayhem, really confusing. And the last one I'll mention in terms of our obesogenic environment of the modern world is toxins. We have like 80,000 or more synthetic toxins made in factories that have been introduced into our air, water, food, furniture, personal care products, homes, electronics over the past 100, 150 years, most of which have not been tested for safety. And they have certainly not been tested for safety together. If they're tested for safety, they're tested in isolation. So you've got 80,000 chemicals and many of them are what we call obesogens. They're known obesogens, meaning that the chemical molecular structure of that toxin that are being added to all sorts of products can actually disrupt key metabolic pathways, whether that is microbiome composition that's associated with metabolic health, whether that's directly impairing our mitochondrial function, um, whether that's changing the epigenetics. So like the folding of our genome in a way that impacts metabolic health. So this concept of obesogenic chemicals is being understood now. And so many of the chemicals that we're basically just swimming in now, not in our control, um, are causing like not just associated with, but causative of obesity and metabolic dysfunction. So we just ran through a lot, but that's basically food, sleep, exercise, stress, light, temperature, toxins. That is our obesogenic environment that if you are just born into the United States right now, you are being born into that world. And in some ways, it almost feels like to prevent the nearly inevitable metabolic dysfunction that you are going to get as a modern American and almost inevitable overweight or obesity, because that's 74% of the country, 93% metabolic dysfunction, 74% obesity or overweight. It's, it's literally almost becoming inevitable if you are born into this country that you are going to have one of these issues. It's almost like you're spending your life just protecting yourself from modern culture. And I think that's why people kind of get obsessed with wellness and biohacking and all this stuff, because it, it almost can feel like if I'm not hyper vigilant, then I'm going to have a problem. And if I just go along with normal culture, I'm almost guaranteed to be screwed. So a lot of what I think about, and like, of course, what we care about at levels is like, how do you make it easier for people to understand how their environment is affecting their biology so you can be aware and start to make um, better choices to hopefully prevent this near inevitability of being um, a modern American. Dude, that was a fucking awesome speech. Like, I want to just like clip that and play it on repeat because it's a fucking <laughs> denouncement of modernity in such a concise way where you nailed basically every point where I go like the, the environment, the world or maybe not the world, but certainly America and cities are are conspiring against you. And it, and, it, uh, you know, OK, I want to I want to claw through it because I also think it can be an overwhelming amount of data. You know what the fucking we think about like a prisoner who gets 24 hours of sunlight a day and we think that's inhumane. That's horrible. And yet we opt to do that like we on our it, without without reminding ourselves like, hey, maybe I need to get out and see some light. We can sit in the house for 23 hours and kids are, are happily playing video games and sitting there and, and not getting outside simply because they want to go play or something like that. So it, it, it is a wild. I also think like. Everything you listed, every single thing 
is an attempt to solve a problem like our fast food, our preservatives, um, our phones, uh, the, the temperature, like it's all trying to make us comfortable and more efficient. And then there are just a string of unintended consequences that people weren't aware of when they said, like, we can provide HVACs to every house. And like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sitting in a house right now. It's 80 degrees outside and I have the thermostat at 72. My wife's going to get home and bitch that it's too cold and turn it up to 74. And that's the battle that we go through. And then a kid's going to show up and say, no, 72 is inhumane. It's got to be 70. You know what I mean? Like. This is our our struggle in modernity. Um, I, I, I also want to say one thing to you that I respect so much, which is in the in, like I, I just read an article that, there, you know, we had Ozempic and Ozempic was going to change everything. And then forget Ozempic. Ozempic is out. There's now 30 other drugs that are going to do much more than Ozempic. And for me. Uh, the idea of Ozempic, like, yes, it, it, me in 2020, when I was 500 pounds and I and I hadn't had any success and I hadn't figured out personal responsibility and actually what was going on with myself, maybe I was a candidate for Ozempic because I spent 10 years gaining and losing weight and I did lots of yo-yo diets. And maybe at that point, I could have been put on Ozempic for the rest of my life and seen good results. However, 10 years later, when I know how to yo-yo diet, I know how to lose weight very quickly. You put me on Ozempic. I'm just going to be on Ozempic until I lose the weight. Then I'm going to be off Ozempic. And guess what? I think in that structure, it really just makes the yo-yo diet easier. It just makes it painless. And then I'm not thinking about any of the things you just mentioned. I'm not changing any of the things you just mentioned. And my worry there is that if we just add a crutch to yo-yo dieting, aren't we going to ultimately have more obesity like that? To, from my point of view, is the result of yo-yo dieting. It is just people have gotten heavier um, on average. And so when you're talking about being aware of all this data and how you're going to move through it. Now, the, the one thing that concerns me is it's an overwhelming amount of data that you have to be aware of. And so like, if I'm a person who's going, I haven't really thought about this before. I need to take over my life. I need to take the reins. What do I have to think about? And I'm confronted with sleep and time outside and exercise and resistance training and food and, and toxins and, and nutrients that can be overwhelming. So how do we, what's the on-ramp to this? Mm. I think that the on-ramp towards making all of these things just a natural part of your life is a sense of awe and curiosity about the body. Yeah. We are having this precious, short, conscious experience of life right now. We are not here for a long time and we are blessed with being in the most prosperous time in human history and the safest time in human history that we know of in these incredible, miraculous bodies that interact with the cosmos, with the environment in the most beautiful possible way. And I think remembering that your cells, you have 37 trillion 
cells. I mean, that can be 37, some estimates say a hundred million, a hundred trillion, but 37 trillion cells in the body. And every single one is trying so hard to make your life blissful and incredible energy, happiness, joy, prosperity, longevity. And the world we live in, right, is breaking those cells and making their jobs so much harder. You know, they, they, they can animate our lives in the most beautiful way, but they are dealing with just this catastrophic environment. And so I think to kind of cut through how overwhelming it can seem, it really starts with awe and curiosity because fundamentally, if you're just doing the things that we talked about, you know, in the right way, it's essentially more natural living, right? Like getting back to sustainably grown food from good soil, uh, sleeping, walking, being in the sunshine, you know, drinking clean water, uh, these things, if you're focused on just really folks tuning into your body and your self-awareness and your curiosity, you will just very quickly realize that when you do these things, you feel great. And I think that makes it a lot simpler. Like this is not about necessarily, you know, having the most regimented protocol. It's about what feels amazing. We all know when we sleep more, we feel better. When we eat clean, natural food, we generally feel better. I know you had your experience with fiber where like the first couple of days of eating tough, the really fiber tough. was tough, but then you got used to it. But that's, I mean, imagine just you, you basically, you focused on doing that with curiosity. Like, okay, I'm told this was good. Not feeling so good right now. Let's give it a few more days. And then it was fine. fine. And so that's, that is the gateway to me. I, I spend a lot of time really in a state of gratitude and um, thinking about how miraculous the body is. And that to me is the foundation of sustainable, healthy uh, behavior and, and really just tuning into like body awareness, this term interoception, which is like trying to feel what's going on inside your body. Cause if you just follow your body's lead, you will be led to the things that are going to make you feel, feel good. So, but I think that's sort of, that's sort well, of like, the I, I want to say yeah. something about processed food too, because I had a, a, a similar experience with that. I spent the vast majority of my life consuming mostly processed food. And, and I had a mom who was like uh, super into hippie health food stores, which I kind of was like, okay, once I can be in charge of this, I will never go to these stores. I will only eat the food I like, which I then did for 10 years. And um, when I, when I made a, a conscious effort to get off of processed food, I felt awful, like far mm. worse than just trying to eat a certain amount of fiber. It was headaches and just like lethargy. And I felt awful. Once I spent some time off of processed food. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I noticed that I felt better than I had, one, and then two, I noticed that when I ate processed food, I felt like I'd been poisoned. So there are some shifts that have to take place. And like, if you got a kid who's eating, you know, you know, I remember seeing studies on kids who ate like a teaspoon of food dye and had psychotic breaks. If you have kids who who are subsisting largely on food like that, to get them off might be rough, but, you know, it, it's a process that will benefit them, I think. And I'm not even a guy who's like processed food is evil. You can never eat processed food. I will occasionally have a diet soda. I will occasionally have a bag of, you know, uh, total BS protein chips that are that have way too many ingredients in them. Um but it's okay. it's very occasional. I, I I'm not always a black and white person with this kind of stuff, um, but I but I would say that the vast majority of the food I eat by by leaps and bounds have one word ingredients. It is mm. broccoli or rice or chicken or potato. That's what I live on. And then if I occasionally have some of the other stuff, I'm almost always aware that I don't feel great. You know, I don't feel like I could go to the gym immediately following it. Or I, I will say there is one addendum. The only time I'm really able to consume sugar, sugar is in the middle of a workout. If I mm. suddenly feel tapped or drained and I have some sugar, I feel better. And then I don't wind up with a hangover. But if mm. I eat ice cream at night and then go to bed, I feel hungover in the morning. That's that's my one stipulation so i've had gatorade maybe five times in the last three years and it was always at the gym and it always helped me when i needed it yeah i mean it sounds like you're so tuned into your body and you are really focusing on the the closed loop feedback between the choices you're making and how you feel yeah. and i think that is just really the foundation and and that that's that is so much of the premise of why we started levels is because we believed that giving people more access to a feedback loop. So I make a choice and this is what's happening in my body can be part of generating that awe and that interest in sort of figuring out the cause and effect relationship between what you're doing and what you're being exposed to and what's happening in your body. Right now, the way the healthcare system is set up is that it's very um, patronizing in the sense that it, it actually 
very much tries to make patients almost feel like they're stupid. Like they need to find salvation outside of themselves through a doctor, through a system, through a medication, through a surgery, through a shot, whatever it is. Um, and it's almost like, and, and the way that electronic health records are set up, you know, the doctor in most States and the hospital system owns your health records. They own your health data. You don't even own your health data that you paid for. And that's from your body. It's a whole system set up to have a knowledge gap between healthcare and individual. So we are ignorant about the inner workings of our body. We are in this distraction industrial complex where our attention is just constantly being vied for. And we're actually really just not tuning into our bodies. We're in this hustle culture where just sitting and tuning in is actually kind of looked down upon. We are, um, you know, people talk about empowering health methods and the healthcare system calls it quackery. This happened during COVID, you know, people were talking about, well, how do I actually build my resilience to maybe do better against the virus, like vitamin D or exercise. And it was literally just completely shut. People were canceled for saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're in this system where we are indoctrinated to not trust our bodies, to not believe that we really have solutions inside of us with our choices and which many doctors actually will tell a patient point blank that nutrition has nothing to do with their health condition. There are G doc GI doctors who genuinely believe that food doesn't impact things like Crohn's disease or irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, um, or people who are cancer, whose doctors are saying, Oh, I mean, there's no evidence to suggest that nutrition has anything to do with cancer. That's just wrong. It's not in our guidelines, but that's a systemic problem. That is a structural problem. That's not the reality. Right. And so our system has really, I think, brainwashed Americans to almost be um, learned helplessness about our own bodies. And that's why I think that, you know, this sort of new revolution in healthcare that's happening, largely, honestly, driven by podcasting, I think, by getting information to people through a different channel that's outside of the healthcare system, through the wearables, the whoops, the auras, the eight sleeps, the Fitbits, levels, you know, being able to see inside your body, um, Everly Well, direct consumer lab testing, all these things are creating a movement that I think we're seeing right now where people are realizing like, I can understand my health, I can understand the cause and effect and make better choices that hopefully keep me out of the healthcare system, right? And that like, we use that more for emergencies, but actually our day-to-day -day foundational cellular health is our responsibility because that's dictated by our daily choices. And our doctor can't be there 24 hours a day on our shoulder telling us, oh, don't eat that. Do eat this. Go to sleep. Take a walk. Go outside. Get some sunlight. Don't eat that toxin. Filter your water. That's our job. And I think it's actually really empowering that there's a shift happening to like a consumer healthcare revolution where we're actually taking more responsibility for this. And I think my, my big picture goal is that that consumer-driven revolution is actually going to shift the healthcare system to be more proactive and preventive because people are just going to demand that. And, um, unfortunately there's very little leverage right now in the healthcare system to do it just out of their good nature, right. To move towards prevention or sort of more of a proactive approach, because the reality in the American healthcare system right now is that it makes more money when more people are sick and dependent on the system. The more the healthcare system does right now, the more money they make. It is not in the business model or the best interest of the American healthcare system to generate healthy, well patients 
who don't get chronic disease. Chronic disease is the ultimate cash cow for the American healthcare system, which is, again, 20% of our GDP and is employing millions and millions of people. And in many states is the largest industry. And so there's not a huge incentive to, to, to spice that up and all of a sudden move towards a totally preventative model, which essentially gets rid of your customers. And so there's a really exciting movement and thing happening where people are getting in touch with their own bodies, taking things, you know, um, in their own control and starting to understand the feedback loop between the choices we're making and what's happening with our fundamental metabolic health, our cellular health. And, um, I think that's going to be the future, the future of healthcare. Yeah. For, for me, uh, when I, woke up one day and, and wanted to lose weight. My my only concern was weight loss. And and it largely had nothing to do with health. It it was it was more just like I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to, you know, be un, as uncomfortable as I am. I want to be able physically more capable. But I will say that after you, you know, you, you start to have physical goals and then you fine tune them as you hit your markers. You go like, OK, now now that I've checked this off the box, I'm not done. There's no end. Right. The end for all of us, I think, sadly, is death. And so how do we kick that goal down the road as far as possible and be as healthy on our way there and as uh, you know, um have the best trip down towards that goal. You know, it's a, it's a weird thing to have that as a goal, but I want it to be a, a very far off goal. Um, and there's, it turns out there's quite a bit we can do to affect that. You know, I think that there's, um, there was a, a point of view I had that it was uh, largely genetic and there would be pills along the way. And, and I was just stuck with the hand I was dealt. And so, whatever comes up, I'm going to take a pill for it. The problem I found is that a lot of those pills then require pills because they're having other effects. Um, so I want to take as little pills as possible now. Uh, you know, and that includes vitamins. Unfortunately, I'm not a big fan of vitamins. I'd rather <laughs> eat vegetables. Well, I mean, yeah, vegetables are a great, you know, a, a great source of many of those micronutrients. And uh, I, you know, I think that Gosh, you really nailed it. Like, I love that, that phrase that you just used. It's like, we want to have the best trip like this, like we were talking about earlier, like this is a short, fairly short trip that we yeah. have. And like the way I, the reason I care so much about metabolic health is because metabolism is how we power our lives inside every one of those cells, which together bubble up into the function of those cells together bubbles up into our lived experience into our lives. And each one is powered by our metabolism. So if there are problems with metabolism, if we are allowing these different factors in our environment to truly damage our metabolic machinery, we are leading to an underpowered life. We are dimming our spark. We are literally dimming our animating life force. So it's not just a chronic disease, avoid, avoidance process. This is a spiritual crisis that we're in because this beautiful, miraculous human body is being dimmed. And that means we're not going to have the best trip. It means that we are going to have more suffering, more pain, more mental illness, more emotional dysregulation, more violence in our life, more 
just, I, I think I mentioned pain, like literal pain, all of the, when we are underpowered, our bodies are going to create a more negative experience, right? It's like a sputtering machine that that's not what we want for this trip. And so, you know, there's, there's so much clinically we can talk about, like, we don't want heart disease. We don't want dementia. We don't want stroke, but we really like, I like to think of the body as this, you know, this, this force that is powered by metabolism and all the choices we're making, the protocols, the biohacking, all this stuff, really it's about just powering the body better so we can have the best trip. Right. And to, to, and, and not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of everyone around us to just increase the potential goodness of what the human population can do in this lifetime. And so, you know, I mentioned mental health and, and pain and suffering. Like we know that if you are metabolically dysfunctional, like the brain, it's 2% of body weight. It uses 20% of the energy in the body. So if we are underpowered, anything relating to the brain is going to be harder. So we know that when you are metabolically dysfunctional, so let's take, let's say you have type two diabetes, which is of course like a clinically overt representation of metabolic dysfunction, twice the risk of depression, twice the risk of anxiety, much higher risk of Alzheimer's dementia and other types of dementias, higher risk of pain, fibromyalgia, migraines, headaches, every neurologic thing gets worse. And this makes sense from this root cause perspective of metabolic issues, underpowering of our bodies being the root cause of almost every chronic condition we're facing in the U S today. Because if you, if you have a cell, a cell type, like a brain cell, that's not working properly, there's going to be symptoms that arise. And most of the symptoms that we're dealing with the United States today in the modern world are essentially a manifestation of some particular cell type not being powered properly and that emerging as symptoms. So that's why metabolic dysfunction in the liver can look like fatty liver disease. Metabolic dysfunction in the capillaries of the penis can look like erectile dysfunction. Metabolic dysfunction in the ovary theca cells can look like polycystic ovarian syndrome, the leading cause of female infertility. Uh, metabolic dysfunction uh, in the you know fat cells can look like visceral adiposity and like abdominal fat. In the brain, it can look like all those things I mentioned. In the capillaries of the eye, it can look like retinopathy. In the capillaries of the leg and the arteries of the leg, it can look like peripheral vascular disease, the leading cause of amputations in the country. It's these manifestations of this core cellular problem that are looking like all these different diseases. And so where a lot of, I think, the sort of more forward-thinking clinical practitioners and researchers are going is a new model of healthcare that is not about all these siloed different conditions, but of a root cause sort of unifying theory of chronic disease in our modern world, which is rooted in mitochondrial dysfunction, metabolic dysfunction. Um, and so it's, it's, you, you talked about how like, oh gosh, this is so complicated. There's so much to do to be metabolically healthy. But another way to look at it is this actually simplifies things quite a bit because someone might have like four or five symptoms or chronic disease in their life. Like, oh, I've got some arthritis and I've got a little bit of depression. I've got some anxiety and I've got my prostate. I told my, I was told my prostate is getting big and I've got some belly fat and I'm a little overweight. And it's like, that can seem really overwhelming too. But through, through this lens, in many ways, we have one main problem to focus on in our modern healthcare ecosystem, which is figuring out how to get our cells to power themselves properly. Because when you power a cell properly, a lot of the symptoms kind of just melt away. And so 
So this is the reason I'm so, so, so passionate about this and why I left a surgical subspecialty where I was focused on a very tiny part of the body. I was doing head and neck surgery. So like sign to say, oh my God, I'm focused on one little tip of this iceberg. Like, but there's this whole bigger iceberg underneath that could affect so many other people. I'm going to use this medical nine years of medical training I had to hopefully focus on the root cause issue, not just one of the, you know, one of the organ specific manifestations of that underlying issue. And I hope that more doctors are starting to think that way. I know you've had a lot of amazing doctors on your podcast. Like I was listening to one who was talking about menopause and a GI doctor. And I think the more specialists who start to really think about that root cause physiology, we move towards a a system where we don't ignore the rest of the body for the sake of our little organ that we're focused on. We actually see it as a unified system where making some of these lifestyle and dietary changes can actually have positive benefits on, um, on the, the whole body. But, but yeah, like you said, like we want to have a positive human experience here and there is almost no problem in our human lives that cannot get better by having metabolic health by having cells that are powered properly. I mean, I would love people to come up with something, truly anything that will not be easier or better in our lives if our cells are powered properly. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, if you have a guy who plays video games and eats pizza and says like, I never go outside and I'm so happy and I like my life and I don't wanna change anything, then far be it from me to try to convince him. I have no interest in in trying to convince him. But I do get slightly confused sometimes when we just lived through an experience where it was like everybody has to do their part. We have this severe impending thing that's affecting us. We're going to we're going to make where everybody's going to go out of their way to make sure that this is solved in that got complicated, too. But it was like we all have to take responsibility for the group. There are studies that show obesity to be socially communicable. That means it's contagious. That means that just being around obese people means you're more likely to become obese. I don't understand and not even that I'm for it. I don't think I'm for some government campaign to say, like, we're going to eradicate obesity and here are the guidelines you're now going to live by. I I don't think that's going to work, but I don't understand why when we're faced with something that one costs us so much money costs us human life uh contributes to disease and illness how it's now becoming celebrated not not even not like something we can solve but but like we shouldn't be solving it it's not something to be solved it is very perplexing to me it, it honestly, though, it's so simple. It, it is economics, right? In, in the majority of states, the biggest private industry is food or healthcare, right? Which means that for the majority of American senators and and lawmakers, the jobs and livelihoods of the people they are representing are directly tied to the processed food industry or the healthcare industrial complex. There is very little leverage to do what you're saying, which is like create, you know, a a movement towards a healthier world from an economic 
standpoint. That yeah. is the incentives of healthcare. We we will we will not. I do not believe actually reverse the metabolic epidemic until the incentives of healthcare change and until corporations are required to actually be financially responsible for the externalities that they create in health and the environment. Because otherwise, it's literally just this is the best possible scenario for the biggest industries in America. And that's why it's not changing. And they are control of the media, right? Like the number one donor to mainstream media is pharma. So this is all like it, it, I understand it seems crazy, but it's actually so logical. And, um, and I, I don't think there's any like evil puppet master here. Like, I think that most of the people working in these systems actually really do feel like they're doing something good. And I, it's not, an, I'm not individually thinking anyone in these systems processed food, even maybe at the highest level, um, are doing something evil, but incentives are an invisible hand that guides these decision-making there and fascinating clip. I was, um, invited to come down to San Francisco for the JP Morgan healthcare conference, which is one of the big healthcare conferences. And I was looking at the website and there were literally videos. This is one of the biggest healthcare conferences, influential. And there were videos from JP Morgan healthcare analysts that literally were celebrating how this is going to be a blockbuster period for JP Morgan investment funds, because obesity and Alzheimer's are blockbuster markets. Okay. Not preventing them or reversing them, but treating them. Yeah. So it's not even being like hidden that these are these, these this is the goal. And of course that person, that, that man who was recording that video is sitting there thinking I'm doing the good work here, right? Like I am allowing huge access to cutting edge medications for conditions that are ravaging American lives. I think, unfortunately, when you drink the Kool-Aid of seeing what's really happening here of, oh my God, these medications, these conditions are actually mostly preventable. And these medications aren't actually creating a healthy body. They're just sort of like managing some of the downstream symptoms. When you start going down that root cause more path of systems, biology and healthcare, you can't watch a video like that and celebrate it, right? It's like, what are we doing? We're investing hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars in these, this reactive thing of the drugs, which are a literally blockbuster market. Um, the, the investors are like popping champagne, right? Like everyone's like, oh my God, like this huge need and we're going to meet it. But if everyone just woke up and thought and said, wait a minute, this is preventable. We need to be investing all this human capital, all this investment resources towards eradicating it be a very different country, but that's not where we are right now. So until those incentives change, and I just a quick side note, like there was some talk of this maybe happening with Obamacare, which was the affordable care act where there was this whole movement towards what's called value-based care, where doctors would actually get paid for outcomes. So value is outcomes over cost. You want better outcomes over lower cost. And that actually seemed so promising because it's like, oh my God, the incentives are changing. We are going to get paid more for a patient who loses weight and for a patient who is healthier. And it was like, I was excited. Everyone was excited. This is truly going to change the incentives of healthcare, but it got completely co-opted. And the reason for that is because when all the different 
professional organizations for each specialties went and came up with the quality criteria for each specialty instead of making the quality, oh, this patient got better. So I have a heart disease patient who actually reversed their heart disease. That to me would be a good outcome, right? We want to have that good outcome for a low cost. Instead, the value criteria were all about like pharmaceutical adherence. It was like, okay, I have a heart disease patient. How many of the patients in my patient practice in my panel are on long-term beta blocker therapy? So the, the, basically how it got co-opted by industry is that the outcome metrics were about adherence to interventions, not about actually becoming healthier. Right. So it's amazing how like a good intended system, when it can, when it's still being kind of co-opted by industry can actually continue to propagate the exact same problem. So then you have doctors, you could have had a system where doctors literally got paid more for the more patients they got healthy, reverse their disease. Instead, you got doctors who would get paid more for how many of their patients were like on long-term adherence of medication. And so that, so, so that's just an example of like a direction we could go in, but if it were sort of better monitored, um, we could make some real progress. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how you unwind this. You know, I haven't had a cable television in 15 years. And when I go to a hotel and turn on cable television, it's all pharmaceutical and food advertisement, like 100%. And then occasionally insurance for like a car insurance commercial will pop up, but like 90% is food, Keebler cookies and Domino's pizza. And here's some drugs that you take so that the cookies and pizza don't kill you. Um, which is wild, you know, to, to see that it's depressing, to be honest with you. Um, I don't, I, I mean, it makes me, there is a part of me that goes into this like nihilistic hopelessness of like, well, it is what it is. And here we are. And the few people that want to make a change are going to have to fight for their lives to make the change because the, the system is kind of working against them. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
And I, I, I don't, I don't see those commercials going away. I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I mean, like they, they figured it out with cigarettes, but I think, you know, you would have more difficulty proving a Keebler cookie killed somebody, you know, I don't know. I don't know what, know why I'm singling them out. Cause the elves are so cute maybe. Um, but like, I don't think you can like tie that in the exact same way. It is a whole system that is causing this. I totally hear you like that. It can feel not, you know, nihilistic and very hopeless, but I think that there is so much to be hopeful for because I mean, literally because of podcasts, like what you're doing, you're bringing people on, giving them a platform and a voice information. We still live in a country where for the most part, you can disseminate information like this. Um, and it goes into people's ears for an hour. That's incredible. That never was possible right before. I mean, we had the radio, but like, that's incredible. You've got like everything that happened the other week with Rogan and RFK Jr. I mean, they they spent three hours, like one of the most listened to podcasts in history, no matter how people feel about the different topics discussed, they're talking about food and pesticides and pharma interests, like millions of people listening. So this is, I mean, there are multiple things happening at once. There is are disasters happening where kids are literally being fed poison in school lunches. Um, and they're serving lunchables, you know, that are literally subsidized by the government bad, right? We don't love that, but there's also movements happening where people, the average, there are 70 year old women doing cold plunges because they heard about it on Peter Tia's pocket. Like there's, there's so many interesting trends happening. And like, at the end of the day, like, I think people want to live a good life. I think people want to be happy. And I think, unfortunately we've been in a system that has made that very challenging, but people are waking up and I believe in people. And I, I think this is going to be a individual led bottoms up consumer driven movement. That is, that is literally why I left the healthcare system to focus on a consumer product that was very intentional because I believe that it's going to come from the bottom up because the leverage is not in the corporations right now. The leverage is in inspiring people with information. That's always how things change in history, right? Like you get people power information and a new desire for a better world. And that's how like revolution happens. Right. And so that's, that's why I think it's going to come from the bottom up. And I actually am, I'm getting more hopeful by the day because you see these trends in how this stuff is spreading like wildfire. And you also see how much certain industries want to shut it down. Right. You, they don't want people talking about natural stuff. Like, you know, like, like no, getting I mean, more into exercise. The sunlight. So it's exercise is shown to be more healthful than any medic medication that right. there are science. And by the way, science, trust the science, that's science that shows that exercise prescribed exercise has better health outcomes than any medication like that alone. But you can't charge people by telling them to exercise. But the info is getting out, which is yes. so cool. And people are posting about it in social media. So I think there's these different forces at play. And I think it's going to shake out um, in a good way. That's at well, least what I'm what I'm what I'm visualizing. <laughs> I, I just want to thank you. I thank you for your optimism because I think we need optimists and I'm not really a pessimist. I'm also optimistic because I, I, I changed, I changed my life is starkly different than what it was. And I will continue to work hard to do that. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for what you're doing. I really, really appreciate it. You and levels. It's an, it's an awesome team you have. 
Thank you so much. It's so great to chat with you. You too. Talk to you later. And now for the Q&A. Today's question comes from Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, I've recently discovered your podcast and loved how you basically said that every day is January 1st. I can relate. I started my weight loss journey a year ago in June on a whim. I'm down 65 pounds and want to lose another 90 or so. What tips do you have for taking myself out of eating the occasional donut when I know it tends to spiral my eating out of control? Mm. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I want to achieve moderation in eating, but I there was a, a long period of time where I had to be abstinent from food like that because I too would have, you know, a bite of pizza and then wind up eating the pizza and then, you know, ordering more pizza and going into a dark hole of a month of eating like a maniac. So I think that there, for me, starting off with some very hard, fast rules, um, with regard to food and, uh, some guidelines that I didn't mess around with. I, I, very rarely, even today, eat fast food, but I, I spent years not ever eating it. And I think that it's not insane to make some of those guidelines while you're still, you know, heading towards whatever target you have to lose. He said he has a hundred and he wants to lose 90 more, 90 more. So 90 more pounds, n no reason not to uh, not to have some rules about donuts. Um, the, the key for me with, with that was try to stay away from donuts. Like don't ever buy donuts. That's, that's a really good one. Um, don't go to places where donuts are being served. And if you find, you know, if donuts are at your work every single day, then have something else to eat, bring some other food so that you can eat it. If it's celery sticks or chicken breasts or something, whatever your plan is, um, so that when you have the desperate need to eat a donut, you, you eat something else, you replace it with something else. Um, that would be my suggestion for battling those kind of urges. Um, the other thing I, I, I would suggest is, uh, trying out a maintenance period which is still a diet for me a the first few maintenance periods were took so much effort and it was hard for me to understand this but like the first time i read about it is just a diet break it was called the diet break and i thought a diet break means i'm not dieting means i'm going to gain weight and so you're actually putting effort into maintaining your weight which if we want long-term progress, we're going to have to figure out doing that at some point. If you lose this 90 pounds you have to lose and don't put any more effort into maintaining that, you most likely will gain weight again. So learning how to do that on your way to this 90-pound goal, I think is a, uh, a, a smart tactic to employ so that when you get there, it's not as shocking that you're going to have to put effort into maintaining your weight. So you could break that up, like lose 30 pounds, do a few months of maintenance, lose another 20 pounds, you know, break, split it up so that 
you've got a few of these under your belt and you understand that when you when you get to this magical weight, 90 pounds that you want to lose, not it's not like the angels sing down to you like your whole life is different and you no longer have to be concerned about your weight. Now starts the really serious process of main, maintaining that weight. I've gained weight so many times and it's so defeating and upsetting and makes me want to give up. And the thing that's helped me most is doing diet breaks and, and learning about maintenance. And, and now I'm, I'm just, uh, living my life in maintenance, you know, and I don't have to think about it quite as much as I used to, but I, I spent a lot of time practicing this on my way to where I am now. Pretty awesome. And I know you talk about maintenance and diet breaks in so many episodes, so I totally recommend Kevin to check some of those out as well. Yeah. Awesome question and answer. And if anyone else has a question for Ethan, you can always send it to us. The address is hello at AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>